This Week in Startups, the Power of Accelerator series is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. A business is only as strong as its people, and every hire matters. To post a healthcare or essential service job for free, visit linkedin.com slash power. Vanta. Compliance and security shouldn't be a deal breaker for startups to win new business. Vanta makes it easy for companies to get a SOC 2 report fast. Twist listeners can get $1,000 off for a limited time at vanta.com slash twist. And Zendesk. Qualifying startups can join the Zendesk for Startups program and get six free months of Zendesk products. You'll also get access to an exclusive community of startups for advice and connections. Visit Zendesk.com slash twist today to get started. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. It's your boy, Jason Calacanis, here on This Week in Startups, and we are continuing. In fact, we're wrapping up our Power of Accelerator series Uh, And this was intended as a 10-part series since many of the founders who are watching and aspiring founders want to know, hey, should I consider an incubator? Should I consider an accelerator? And what's the state of those? Because I get this all the time. Which accelerator should I pick? Should I go to Techstars? Should I go to Launch Accelerator? Should I go to Y Combinator? What's this Dream It thing? What's SOSV? And we did our study of all the different accelerators out there. We wanted to have a range from internal ones like Ford's uh, X program, obviously having Techstars, which is the largest one uh, in the world, uh, Science, a startup, a startup uh, studio model. We went through all these crazy different models. Um, and to be totally honest, all of them you probably already knew about. They all fit the exact mold. But... I always look for things that are innovative. And we're ending with um, what I think is the most innovative new idea I've seen in accelerators in a long time. And it's called Pioneer. And the founder is Daniel Gross. And I believe he was at Y Combinator for a bit. And when I saw this, I said, wow, this is amazing. Everybody in Silicon Valley, everybody in the investment space, even in the accelerator space, because there's so many companies, has moved a bit downstream. So you look at VCs, they used to invest in a business plan, then they invested in a prototype or a mock-up, then they invested in MVP, then they invested in pay trials, and now they're saying, hey, wait till you got a million to $3 million in revenue, then a VC will do it, seed funds, angels, accelerators, incubators will do that early stuff. And then even the accelerators, because they had so many people applying, they started to move downstream. In fact, the launch accelerator, we changed the name from an incubator, we went to an accelerator because, my God, the first two years of trying to just get your product launched... We have so many companies to choose from. We just wait till you get to 5K in revenue and maybe 1,000 people using your product a day for a consumer product. And that's when we like to engage. And then I see this pioneer uh, accelerator and it starts with a form and says, hey, what do you want to build? And it's literally starting from day zero. Uh, Daniel, thanks for coming on the pod. I'm incredibly impressed with what you've built and I'm monitoring it daily because you share the videos on uh, YouTube. And it's a little bit like, um, it feels a little acoustic right now, still feels like you're figuring it out, Um, but it's impressive in what I think is year two for you. Where are you at with this project? And tell me what you, how you describe it to the world. Sure thing, yeah. Uh, Thanks for having me on. Uh, Been a fan of of your work and Mm. uh, of your content for quite some time. Thanks, Bill. Excited to 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 participate in and give back and and hopefully um, be even ten percent as 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 amusing as your regular guests are. So, (laughs) um, 
Uh, Pioneer is, yeah, you know, it's funny. A lot of people talk of, uh, about themselves as a startup accelerator. Um, we're almost really hoping to be a startup generator. Um, we're looking to find people, uh, uh, you know, at the point where they're working on an interesting project and they're not even really sure if it's a company um, or they're working on maybe a very, you know, they just incorporated, but they're not really sure they have product market fit. And we're aiming to bring these people what what I think is the largest kind of scarcity in the in the startup ecosystem pipeline uh, is a sense of validation and confirmation uh, that yes they should be working on what they're working on they should be going down the rabbit hole they're exploring um, and they should be taking their dream and their passion a little bit you know more seriously M- my view is twofold one um, I think like weirdness and uh, change and variety is a great thing for the world. And I think we want to live in the world that has many more small startups instead of four or five large tech companies. And I think we want that. We want more variety. We want more choice. We want more creativity. Lots of small islands instead of a few continents. And secondly, I think the largest constriction uh, towards creating more of these startups is effectively generating more of these extraordinarily productive people that go on to form these companies. Um, and I think the largest constriction there is there's a lot of people and there's a lot of companies that never make it past the GitHub repo uh, phase. You know, I think GitHub is the largest graveyard of startups, period, because, you know, someone kind of gets started and they're not really sure if they should take the idea any further. And, you know, unlike a structured job where there's a very clear motivational treadmill and there's almost a very obvious game to play, um, you know, in terms of how to advance, what's good, what's bad. You know, if you work at Starbucks or in the military or even just a manager in a large company, it's really clear what to do next in startups especially in the early days before you have revenue, super unclear what to do next, right? And so motivation comes in fits and starts and maybe you're excited and inspired and you get started and then it dies. So Pioneer, Pioneer takes the sh- literally the shape of an online game to try to inject some of that motivational structure into people that are kind of at the project building phase um, to try and get them to take that thing a little bit more further. So it's a website you go to. It's pretty simple. Um, unlike traditional accelerators, um, we try to run as much in software as possible so that we can service as many people as possible. And you can go to the website and you can check it out. You can even check out the internals without registering. Literally, it takes the place of a structured game with points. And the more progress you make on your project, the more points you get. And if you get a bunch of points, you become a pioneer. And that kind of gives you funding, active network, kinship, and so forth. But but the, the, the real vision is to, to really generate another thousand companies that would not exist without kind of this web, uh, you know, product and platform. Yeah, and I thought this was really fascinating. When you go to the, um, I think it's pioneer.app, um, and it's a fully remote accelerator, which we've had to move to, and Y Combinator and Techstars was experimenting with one. So you got that right as well, because that reduces a ton of friction. Anybody can participate. But the game, when you click that you want to enter the game, it, it's really fascinating, and I'm pulling it up here for people, but it tells you exactly what to do and gives you your progress bar. And uh, if you go back to that page, it says sign up, create, tell us about your project, submit your weekly update, and it tells you how many points you get 50. Then it says vote on weekly progress updates. That's up to 50 points. And that's Monday at 1 a.m. and Tuesday at 1 a.m. And then you have quests. You're actually using that term quests. Finish your project description. Upload a one-minute video. Take a 40-minute series of puzzles. Add your project's metrics. Um, And this is fascinating because all of this activity results in a climb the leaderboard and see the top 50. And I don't know if this is correct or not, 
But when you do the mentorship sessions where you have Austin and um, I see you had Des Trainer, my friend from Intercom, and you had Austin from uh, Lambda School, which we're investors in, um, they will, I think the reward, correct me if I'm wrong, for doing work and going up the leaderboard is you get a famous founder to then hear your pitch and give you feedback and you publish that to your YouTube channel, correct? Yes, yeah, that, that, that's right. And um, the, the the idea is if you do well, you chart on the leaderboard in time, you become a pioneer, you get a chance to meet some of these interesting folks, some of these founders. That in itself, I think, is uh, both useful and the tactical advice you get, but also more importantly, kind of just inspirational. I mean, for, I mean I'm sure you have this experience um, uh, where... You know, before you were an insider, you were very much an outsider looking in. Yes. Uh, and to be able to talk to someone from the inside life was changing. Life changing, right? It is and the so moment in time where you can demark, like, I met Mark, I remember meeting Mark Cuban. I remember meeting Michael Moritz from Sequoia. Like, you remember meeting these absolutely famous people, and they, they may have given you just a little bit of attention, and it just filled your bucket, it filled your gas tank for a year. That's right. And, 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 you know, I think, um, I feel like a lot of founders don't realize this because no one really wants to say that what they need is um, a bit of inspiration. It's kind of uh, a, a bit too Tony Robbins. Uh, but the reality of it is, I think the, the general service that the founder or the advisor or the investor is giving the founder, if they're really doing their job in office hours, it is not the tactical advice it is the like, you can go and get it type of inspiration. Now, I remember I would have these moments where I came out to Silicon Valley as pretty much a nobody um, from Jerusalem, Israel. When I was 18 years old, I went through YC. And a lot of what I got out of Interact, you know, back then YC was Paul Graham, Jessica, and uh, I don't know, half a dozen or a dozen companies. What I got out of it was very much walking in feeling like, I mean, I, I don't know how to tie my shoelaces and walking out feeling like my company is going to go public the next day. And I think that's that's incredibly important um, because here's the subtle thing going on. It is the insecure overachievers that make for the best founders and change the world. These people are the are their own harshest critic. And right. so- They got that voice inside their head saying, uh, you're an imposter or are you, really, are you really going to get this done? It's impossible. But then all of a sudden you're in the YC office. You're like, I made it. I'm here. And, 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 and you're totally correct. And, and that feedback loop kicks in also once you have customers and revenue that, you know, that's real validation that you're not just a loser. But the issue is everything starts at zero. Um, and so you have to, you know, we think of venture capital as a mechanic to inject money into companies before they have much traction. But there's a little bit of kind of social capital where you have to inject a bit of inspiration into someone just to get them off the ground. Yeah, absolutely. When we get back from this quick break, I want to look at the leaderboard. And then I want to ask you about a couple of companies and how it's going so far and what is the deal for founders? How much equity do you take? How much money do you give them when we get back on This Week in Startups? Now more than ever, we need people with the right skills to support our communities, especially the frontline workers who provide the resources and care for those most in need. You all know this. We see it and we are in awe of those frontline workers, obviously. And so to help my friends at LinkedIn are offering free job posts to healthcare and essential service organizations that need to quickly fill critical roles with the people who help us all. How awesome is that? If you or someone you know 
are hiring for one of these organizations, LinkedIn's active community of over 675 million members can help you quickly find the perfect candidate. You know, LinkedIn screens all of the candidates on their job service for the skills and experiences you're looking for and puts your post in front of qualified people who meet those requirements. So you can find the right person quickly to fill critical roles. We've done this over and over again in our organization. We've had an amazing time, as well as our portfolio companies, including Takeoffs.io. They were looking for an AI engineering lead, and that is one of the hardest positions to fill. And with LinkedIn Jobs, boom, the ad was right in front of a PhD in computer vision. And that employee has been with them for over a year, and I was just on a board meeting. They are making serious progress. So thanks to my friends at LinkedIn for helping with that as well. So here is your call to action. Thanks so much, LinkedIn, for making this series, The Power of Accelerators, possible. We all learn so much. Um, we really do appreciate you supporting us here at This Week in Startups and our mission to support founders. If you want to post a healthcare or essential service job for free, visit linkedin.com slash power. That's right, linkedin.com slash power. And you can post a healthcare or essential job for free. Thanks again to LinkedIn for supporting the Powers of Accelerator series. I learned a ton, and I know the hundreds of thousands of people who tune into every episode got a lot out of it, and we're really hoping that you guys start companies. And thanks to LinkedIn, which was a startup not too long ago, and they may have 675 million members now, but they started with 675. So keep that in mind, founders out there. You can do it. Okay, let's get back to this amazing program. All right, this is episode 10 in our series, The Power of Accelerators. You know, we had Steve from Dream Adventures on. We had Stardex, Cameron from uh, Stanford's amazing program, Mass Challenge, SOSVC, Capital Factory, my pal Josh from Austin, David, my boy from Techstars, not that David, the other David, David Brown, the other David, there's two Davids. We had Alchemist on, we had Mike Jones from Science, we had my pal Sonny from Fordex, and Daniel, uh, who I think I'm gonna become fast friends with from Pioneer.app, because he's really doing something that, you know, you, you don't see many people just um, starting with a really new concept. And I actually have never seen anybody even try this concept. And it, it seems to be working because I actually am in touch with two of your founders, um, which I'm, I'm reticent to say it here because they might come to our accelerator. I might put 100 grand into them. So I don't want to uh, publicly say which ones, but I'll tell you offline or, or I'll slide into your DMs. What is the deal for founders? Uh, anybody can sign up. I know that. It's free to sign up, but do you, when you sign up, do you get 1% or 10% of the company just for them being in the program? Do you get an option to invest? How do what's the, what's your business model here? Totally. Yeah. So, um, uh, uh, it's, it's very simple. Um, we've, we've worked to try to make it as structured and as simple as possible. I think one of the, um, challenges with, uh, certainly as a, as a founder that I faced with the venture industry with in my first company was just negotiating, it, it, opaque deals with VCs always felt um, well. I always felt like I was at the losing end of the stick because here's a guy that does it all day versus you that is doing it for the first time. Of course. Anyway, so we try to make things very transparent and simple. So the way it works is this: it's totally free to register and to and to kind of use the software. It's it's it's, it's quite fun actually. Even if you don't become a pioneer, we actually get tons of letters and emails from people who thank us for the system despite them not winning, um, just because of the amount of feedback you get from other players in the community. Um, you know, as it turns out, you know, we thought we were making Pioneer for Pioneer. It turns out the community of non-winners itself is, is quite interesting. All that's free. Um, if you become a Pioneer, yeah, in exchange um, for the mentorship, uh, the community, uh, and, and, and the feedback, um, 
you, you effectively subscribe 1% of your company to Pioneer. And for the most part, um, if you don't have, a, a lot of our winners don't even have, you know, companies at that point will help you form it for free and, and take care of all of that beautiful Delaware paperwork for you. Um, and then we have three structured tiers uh, alongside uh, which we'll occasionally invest. Um, uh, what we call Pioneer Gold, uh, which is a $20,000 investment. Um, Platinum, which is a $100,000 investment. And $1 million, which is a million-dollar investment. Um, uh, and and those are totally optional add-ons, if you will, for, for later on. Um, we do find a lot of our pioneers occasionally take that 1% offer and then end up raising a lot of more money just by virtue of kind of status exchange alone. Um, uh, many of them that end up going to- That they went through Pioneer. That they went through Pioneer. We have this live stream that we do, which is kind of our equivalent of Demo Day, but it's on Twitch and YouTube and it's streamed live and people kind of demo their work and a lot of investors watch I've watched watch it live, that. yeah. I mean, I, I'm one. I've watched it a couple of times and I actually set an alert on Twitter for when you're doing it and I subscribe to your channel, I get an alert. So once in a while, I'm probably catch one out of five live or one out of 10. Um, but what I like about it is just- I learned something as somebody who's been in the industry for three decades. I learned something when I hear Des Trainer giving his opinion. Maybe not Austin, but you know, like I'm joking, Austin. But yeah, you, know, you learn something watching the, the, this nice dialogue about the questions people ask about the businesses. Um, how does one get to the top of the leaderboard exactly? And can you pull up the leaderboard, Nick, so we can look at it? Oh, and then what percentage do people get for those for for the gold? platinum, et cetera. Is that a fixed amount or is it on a note? How does that actually mechanically work? I'm curious. Gold and platinum uh, are fixed at 5%. Um, and you just make a decision if you think they have enough to be gold or platinum in your mind. Yes, of course. It, it, it would be quite beautiful if we could at some point mechanize in software when to hand out those offers, right? Mm. Um, that is, of course, the dream. And I, I would like to work towards that one day. But just like, you know, occasionally you have... Um, uh, humans driving cars uh, before you have autonomous cars. We need to educate ourselves in the system a little bit about what to look for, you know, before offering those. And the, if that's a the, dangerous incentive to put into a video game because then people will be hacking the game, not actually focus on customer delight, right? This is the truth of any leaderboard system. Yes. Um, the good news is you've unlocked tremendous... Um, uh, kinetic energy in people to 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 try to perform well on that leaderboard. Yeah. The bad news is they will work to perform for the leaderboard. And um, yes, and this isn't just Pioneer. You see this on Twitter. You see this in Everywhere, sales leaderboards. Yeah. yeah, people say incendiary things on social networks to get more likes. Right, it's part of the polarization in society that's occurred. Is if you say something that's straight down the middle and accurate, you get no clicks. But if you pick a side and you're MSNBC or Fox, you get all the clicks because you picked a side. Right. Yes. Link yes. Data. I. 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 The. the I, we have. You know. We have interesting moments for us where you can kind of. Our job, in many ways, as designers of a, of a game, is um, fairly similar to the job of an economist. We have a currency, and we're trying to figure out, you know, which of these quests are worth what, and exactly how much to make it worth it. And we spend a bunch of time thinking about that, but it always um, surprises me uh, how seriously people take that stuff. Yeah. Because um, the end of the day. You know, kind of we're crafting this, but but then I kind of realized maybe this is what the Fed is thinking too, because at the yeah. end of the day, these are all numbers, and you know, people will work to maximize you know whatever metrics you give them. Yeah. Um, so ha if we pull up the leaderboard here for a second, how uh, I see Hacker Stash from the Netherlands has twenty four thousand. Thirdweb.co uh, has twenty four thousand one hundred forty four. I guess that seems like the top amount of points you can get. Basically, tell us about. Um, you know, uh, and, and then somebody work, somebody 
uh, one. I might have been Remote Hour. Is that it? What was the one? I think it was a Japanese founder um, who did an office hours type product where uh, you could uh, just set up office hours and people would just dump into like your Zoom and you just set a time and people would just come in and talk to you. I forgot the name of it. Uh, I believe you're thinking of Remote Hour. That's Shun, right? Yeah. And I, I, I got in touch with that, per that founder because I thought it was a really clever idea. Um, and, I, and he's in San Francisco as a solo founder. It's really interesting. How do people get to the top of the leaderboard? What, what would those 24,000 points, what would be the driver to get there? And then what happens if you hit the top 10? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's fairly similar to, to a game in the sense that there are many quests you can go on and all of them kind of add up to, to different number of, uh, of points. Um, predominantly, the large driver of your score is, um, the community and the expert rating on your feedback, um, so, uh, on your progress, sorry. So every single week, you're submitting a progress update to the system, to the whole network of other players about kind of what you did that week. And then, interestingly, you get points for voting on other people's um, progress reports. Um, so it's it, it's quite interesting. And and we have a very interesting mechanic on the inside where this isn't kind of like your, your standard voting UI. You get shown two progress updates from two different players. So one can be from Shun, who's building, you know, Remote Hour, and he'll tell you a little bit about, you know, he managed to get, you know, 20, 30 users this week. The other person will say, well, I got only one person, but they're paying me maybe a little bit more money. And then the user is asked, which is more impressive, number A, uh, sorry, position A or position B. And here's something interesting. Here's something interesting. So they pick, say, A over B. We ask them then to give, um, uh, obviously, positive feedback to A. Why did you think this progress was more impressive? But then constructive feedback to the person they thought was less impressive. And we were very scared before we launched this feature because, as you know, it's the internet. Who's nice to strangers on the internet, right? Yeah. That doesn't happen. No. But 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 this turned out to be one of like our, our big product learnings maybe of 2019 was the feature does incredibly well and people take the time to write incredibly detailed constructive feedback on why this wasn't as interesting as the other one. And it beckons this interesting psychological question, which is what is going on? Why are people nice to each other here? And I think the simple answer is because we're not really well known. See, my view is part of the problem that the internet has today is that the eternal September effect has kicked in on steroids. There's a ton of people on the internet and most people are pretty normal. They're not outsiders. And most normal people over time kind of devolve into the crazy activity we see on Twitter. It used to be the case that strangers work very nice to each other on the internet. You know, back when it yes. was IRC, or you know, Usenet in 1998. Or, or yeah. Usenet or PHBBB. Yeah. And what we've managed to do in Pioneer, one of the reasons why I think it's special isn't just the, the kind of nice software and yellow colors, is we've carved out a little bit uh, a space online that's a little bit dislodged from everything else. And we're in this interesting position where select we get a lot of free positive selection pressure for it you know we're not going to get the series you know a founder from stanford or whatever we shouldn't we're not a great place for them and our deals don't make economic sense for them but we will get to take you know the 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 first real bet on someone you know we have a pioneer named arsalan is building a company called live docs um uh it's it's basically the new quip you know it's a google docs competitor um he uh you know came to us from the uae literally uh and and he, was, he would have moments where it was a real blessing of zoom the guy would be calling in and he'd be in Kashmir suddenly and there'd be no like heating and so he'd have 10 blankets on 
Now he's in San Francisco and raced around from General Catalyst for his startup. Um, all because kind of Pioneer took a bet on him. Uh, yeah. And another founder by, by the name of Shepo from South Africa building um, a search engine for software code. Um, I saw that you one know, actually, yeah. It went through now as a YC founder. Um, and so we got a lot of free selection from folks that wouldn't make sense for any other place. Um, and, and I think it, a lot of it is working for that reason. The interesting twist for us is I think as Pioneer becomes more successful, um, selection will get harder because I think we're actually going to start attracting more and more normal people. Um, ah, right. And so there's this interesting flywheel effect. You know, if you read a lot about the early days of Harvard, it was actually fairly similar. Um, if you think about it, just as a concept for a moment, 19th century, are you really going to go to like this new continent no one's been to and go study there? No. No, it seems super yeah, weird. Yeah. So you get a lot of frontiersmen. Yeah. Exactly. Go to Oxford. Um, so you get a lot of frontiersmen. And frontiersmen are always the ones that create nonlinear change in our world. And so, you know, at that point, the community goes kind of from frontier to famous. And when it's famous, a lot of normal people want to do it. Um, and normal people are great. Normal people run our banks, you know, make our taxes run on time, run our military, but they don't create this type of nonlinear change that, you know, Einstein and Ramanujan are famous for. Um, those are always outsiders. And, and if you're not careful, um, you end up bringing a lot of kind of normal people into your network. And, and I think long term, that's the thing we'll have to think about. But for now, you know, it seems to be working. We funded, um, gosh, about 140, um, Folks in uh, around the world in about forty different countries. Um, One hundred forty in how many months? In or years? Two years? The, yeah, the ramp is interesting. The ramp is probably a year and a half because it took yeah. us a while to get our act together. Um, that's so a large. Just, that's a large number of startups. What do you, when we get back from this quick break? I want to know what your expectation is for returns and how you have constructed uh, your portfolio construction for how you will make this. Uh, you know, a money returning uh, enterprise when we get back on this week's service. If you don't have your SOC 2 compliance buttoned up, well, you're not going to be able to close major customers. It's really that simple. You know this. And if you already have your SOC 2 report, don't you want to make it easier to maintain it year after year? And you probably like to save money and time, right? We all do. Well, Vanta's compliance software makes it easier to get and renew your SOC 2. Their software continuously tests against technical and non-technical SOC 2 requirements, which you need to do, and they partner with over two dozen audit firms who have been trained to file SOC 2 reports directly within Vanta, V-A-N-T-A, if you're wondering. The average 20 to 50 person company is SOC 2 ready with Vanta in just two to four weeks, compared to three to five months without Vanta. And with Vanta, you can connect your tools and infrastructure, continuously monitor for risks and vulnerabilities, and fix issues fast with actionable guidance. And avoid anxious on-site visits from auditors and never again have to prove compliance with manually captured screenshots just by using Vanta. Companies like Lattice and User Testing and hundreds of others have successfully gotten their SOC 2 reports with Vanta in weeks, not months. One of our portfolio companies, Lead IQ, which is one of the most successful SaaS companies we've ever invested in, said they couldn't imagine having to go through SOC 2 without Vanta. So don't hurt your revenue and frustrate your sales team because you aren't SOC 2 compliant. Why would you put up roadblocks to making money? 
unlock those sales and give those employees time back so they can work on business critical assignments. Vanta is giving Twist listeners a rolling $1,000 discount on their subscription at vanta.com slash twist. Once again, vanta.com slash twist for $1,000 off. I met the founders. They're awesome. They've got a great business. They're really just delighting customers. And they said, hey, J. Cal, what's the best offer you got? I was like, well, somebody gives a hundy. This other company gives two hundy. You may have heard of the five hundy. They said, double it, J. Cal. Let's go with $1,000 for your listeners. And I really do appreciate that. So vanta.com slash twist. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. All right, welcome back to This Week in Startups. We decided to do this Power of Accelerator series because, gosh, I get too many questions about what accelerator should I go to uh, and uh, which ones are good. And I'm pretty famous for saying most of them are terrible. Well, here's one today that is terribly innovative and uh, is really filling a niche that nobody else um, really seems to want to do the hard work. It's hard to do the early stuff because, um, yeah, it's not polished. There's nothing there. Uh, it's literally you're starting with a blank sheet of paper. And most investors don't like to do this because you've added probably a year to two years to your investment being realized by being this early. Whereas Y Combinator, maybe they're two years beyond you. A seed fund might be a year or two beyond that. And a Series A fund might be five years behind that. In other words, a Series A or a Series B fund could get returns in five to seven years. You're going to be more in the 10 to 15 range. I'm sure you realize that you have a longer window. How is is there is this like a proper fund where you have a fifty million dollar or a ten million dollar fund? Are you funding this yourself? H- how does the economics work for you as a company or as an investment fund? What what is Pioneer itself on as a corporate entity? Yeah, um, uh, Pioneer is. Um, it, I mean, it, it is a small corporate entity. Uh, we don't have your kind of traditional fancy fund structure, um, and maybe that will change for us over time. But for now. Um, you know, we, we pretty, we're pretty modest. We raised a, a small amount of money from, uh, you know, uh, myself, Stripe, uh, the company, and Mark Andreessen individually, um, just because they were kind of all fans of the of the work and the concept. Um, uh, you, you, you know, we started Pioneer because um, very much believe it's an important experiment to run in the world. Look, like any experiments and like any startups, odds, statistical odds are against us. But, um, gosh, if we could make a thing that kind of generates more interesting founders and more interesting people that wouldn't exist otherwise. And, you know, we'd go from an era where every single year, I feel like there's like two to five great breakout companies. But if we could go from that era to like an era where there's 10 or 50 um, and be responsible for that, that'd be awesome. It'd be a pretty um, great legacy. I tell you that. Yeah. It'd be, yeah. And I think it'd be a lot of fun, right? Yeah. Um, to, uh, just, just because, you know, one of the reasons I got into startup investing kind of organically, even before Pioneer, is, is it's a lot of fun. You meet interesting people working on interesting problems. And um, that is the best you know, part. You get to hang out with the smartest, most driven people who want to make the world better. What a selection it, criteria for your to have a fun circle of people to hang out with. It, it's to, it's it's complete neurogenesis on that sense um and um uh and and so yeah so pioneer is kind of a um how would you say it's it's a, a kind of operationalization of that insight and instead of doing it in a fairly ad hoc fashion with a bunch of emails we try to write software to do it um but that's really the main goal is is to try to create change um I, you know a lot of us um who work at pioneer are 
effectively outsiders that became insiders, you know, we're all immigrants either to the United States or to California. Uh, and, and we're eager to find a mechanized way to pay it forward, uh, to others, just like how many people work at Pioneer? Did us. Yeah. How many people work there? Uh, it's small. I can count it uh, on my hands. We're about five people. Perfect. And you raised a, a seed round or something or a series A? How much have you raised? I don't think we've ever pu fully published oh, okay. the numbers, but um, we raised a bunch of money. Um, uh, a bunch? Uh, like a, oh, okay. Like a, f I, a, I, a fund or is it the, or does the investment occur from the corporate entity and then it's just like evergreen? We have a, we have a small, humble LLC. Got it. Um, and it's at, right now it's evergreen and, you know, I, I, it's interesting. I, you know, it's, I should probably ask you your advice for this off camera, but we're in this funny position where Let's a lot do it of people on camera wanted, be more interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, exactly. A lot of people do want to give us kind of more, um, how would you say proper institutional capital? Um, but I think the question for us is, um, to your point about time horizon, we really need to make sure that this works. Um, and I, I don't mind kind of, you know, um, you don't need it's gonna work it's gonna work i mean it's <laughs> based on uh, how many angel investments did you make before you did this uh, myself yeah you said you did some oh. angel investing quite a bit yeah I over 20 over 30 probably over 30 yeah yeah once you break 30 you know you probably have an outlier or four in there especially if you were at y combinator previously you got to skim the cream so you've got three or four winners in there that are outliers i'm sure out of your 30 we certainly have a bunch we're, we're extremely excited about. Yeah. So, I mean, you need only hit one out of every 50 to be an outlier here. You know, a modest outlier. I'm not talking about an Uber and Airbnb. I'm talking about like a billion dollar outcome. It, it all pays for itself. So, I mean, there's there's really two different ways to structure it is I would just do 100. I would just do like a, the best interest of you and your partners would be to have small funds uh, like SPVs which you can do with a company like Assure, which we're investors of and which used to power AngelList, but power Seed Invest, et cetera. You pop up an SVV, you ask your high net worth friends, hey, for the next 100 companies that we invest in, we're going to invest $3 million in the next 100 to 200. And we're popping up this $3 million fund. And um, as part of that, you get to see the list of what we're investing in because that's what Mark Andreessen is doing it for. Uh, he was in my first fund as well. You know, he put small checks into a bunch of funds. This is very well known in order to like, you know, sort of help build his network. And I was the first Sequoia Scout and the first <laughs> syndicate on AngelList. Like the reason people allow- Really? That's yeah. remarkable. Yeah. You're like first to all of these, what are you first to now? <laughs> first to finding you. No, I missed you. But um, <laughs> no, I, I, I could I tell you a very simple philosophy I have about how to be early on to ideas. But I'll, I'll, this is more about you right now. But that you asked me the how you to do it, but and it's a really interesting discussion because I'm on my third fund now and I've been doing this for ten years. Um, I think small funds for folks like us, purposely small funds, are better because you'll have a higher cash on cash multiple, and the bigger funds then will push you downstream. I've been trying to say upstream near the well, and this is what I always talk to people about. I. If you look at venture capital as an asset class, they had this incredible orchard known as startups. And they were like, you know what? Tending to these fucking trees is so much work. We're out. Bring us YC, Techstars, Launch Accelerator, Seed Funds, AngelList, Seed Invest. You guys tend to the orchard. Bring us a bushel of apples. We'll pick the best apples. And I just thought this is the stupidest strategic move ever. And when I saw you, I was like, oh, 
they are they're planting the trees. I'm running the orchard, but this guy's planting trees. Fuck. I didn't know there was another level. That's why I was so enamored with what you're doing, Daniel. And I was like, I, I told my producer, Nick, I said, this is the number one get. Like even above YC. We invited Michael to come on the pod. He didn't like me, but um, he didn't come on. But uh, I was like, what you're doing is planting an orchard. Right. Well, we're we're certainly stuffing a lot of things into the ground with a, with the help uh, yeah. of of a lot of other folks, and uh, we're pouring a lot of water over it, and we're praying. You're hum- um, you're very humble. I, you have you mean either you're being tremendously humble, or you don't realize exactly what a powerful position it is. When I studied power, when I came to Silicon Valley, or in the tech business in the '90s, was as a journalist. I realized there was like two really interesting points of power. One, the person who finds the company, i.e., Sean Parker, bringing you know, Zuckerberg to Silicon Valley and, and introducing him to Peter Thiel. Like that person is so powerful. That's you or me in this, or Y Combinator, Paul Graham, et cetera. And then the person who can write the biggest check, right? Well, Yuri Milner or Sequoia, just somebody who can write a big check and has like that, those big those big pocketbooks. Everybody else in between is kind of a commodity, right? Like who does your series B? You know, like whoever paid the highest price with the least rights, right? Who did your series C? It's like whoever will give us $20 million and not take a board seat. So there's a million ways for you to do it. Um, but I think for you, being able to build your position, what is your follow-on strategy? That's my number one question for you. What's your follow-on strategy to build meaningful positions? Because 1%, you know, when I started my career, I had a 1% of a, under 1% of a lot of great companies, but it generally winds up being a small number unless you hit an Uber. You want to have 5 10% of companies. So do you have a plan to get there, to get to 20 15 20%? Yet, yeah, it's, it's 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 a good question. And look, I yeah, I understand. Um, I'm, I've been uh, my entire life an avid reader of S ones uh, and ten Ks, um, and so I'm familiar with with the power of concentration if you get it right. Yeah. Um, I was you know I was the teenager with the stock trading problem. Um, yeah. So I, I but 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 I do think in it for for the even uh, as a LP in Pioneer, it is in our best interest to be as useful as possible to the largest number of people we can take bets on. Um, because here's here's what I find so interesting about our business model. The more kind of life-changing we are to the person, the more pricing power the organization has. Um, and, you know, you know, we don't have like a structured, uh, how would you say, goal we have to get to in terms of position and allocation in any single company. And maybe we'll evolve over time and we'll create that. We're just kind of young. Um, but, but the high level mandate that I find so interesting is that for us to actually own 10%, 20% of a pioneer's company over time, we really have to be remarkably impactful in how much we change their life. Um, and I think that's a very healthy North Star for the organization to think about. Uh, and in many ways, I often wonder about, you know, companies pro rata rights. Um, when the percentage is quite large, so when you have a 25% pro rata right, it's, it kind of makes you not have to sing for your supper. Um, and I'm not sure that's a good thing. You know, we think a lot about how we can make our pioneers successful because we need them to be successful for us to be successful. Yeah. But don't, I, I agree with all that, but you know, from experience, how sharp elbow those Series A, Series yes. B investors are about keeping their yes. prorata and saying, I won't do this deal unless I can hit this ownership percentage. 
what I learned over time being early stage and getting run over or VCs trying to run me over over time was I fixed a, fixed a leak in my game, which was I didn't have enough ownership in the companies early on to even know they were doing a new round, to even have a board seat in the winners, right? I didn't have a board seat in Uber, didn't have a board seat in Superhuman or Com.com. And in those I owned under 1%, 2% of Superhuman, 5% five or 6% of Com. But then later I said, you know what? Let's try to get to 10%. Let's try to have an option of a board seat. Let's try to have some future pro rata rights. So I think the way I fixed it was having the right to invest more in the round after they graduate from our accelerator, which is what I think you should do. It's completely reasonable for you to say it's 1% when you join. Um, if we put the 10 or 20K in, we're putting it in and we just want to have the ability to put in another 250 in your next round uh, or 100 in your next round or 100 in your next round and 250 after that. Those founders are going to be more than willing to give you that right. And then if you do hit an outlier, you're going to own 10% or 7%, and you might be able to be on the board of that company. And I think that you're because you're willing to do this hard work with thousands of people a year and invest in 100 people a year, whatever it is, you deserve that right. You deserve that. And you deserve it, and I deserve it, and Paul Graham deserves it, Techstars deserves it, more than the Series B jerk-off who comes in with $20 million check and says, I, everybody before me doesn't count. All you people who put in the four years of hard work with a startup, you don't count. I count. When we get back from this final break, I want you to think about what I've just said to you and tell me your decision when we get back on This Week in Startups. Yes, doctor. <laughs> hey, it's a little weird right now. We all know that. And we also know that no matter how crazy it gets out there, we need to focus on delighting our customers and it's super important to maintain those customer relationships, and Zendesk is here to help you with the Zendesk for Startups program. Zendesk really cares about their customers, and they really care about startups. And I'm just going to go right to the call to action here. If you're an early-stage startup with under 50 employees, they want you to get started right now with six months of Zendesk for free. This is like the best offer you could ever imagine. They love startups. They want to support you. They're going to give you six months for free. Nobody else is doing this, and they are the gold standard. Zendesk.com slash twist. Every customer counts when you're a startup. You know that. And it's more important now than ever, so start building the best customer experiences with Zendesk. You can utilize their support and sales solutions and gain access to an exclusive startup community with resources to help you scale. Zendesk is a service-first CRM company with support, sales, and customer engagement products designed to improve customer relationships. You know all this. You know your friends in the startup community use Zendesk. They won't shut up about it because it is the gold standard. It's that simple. We use it. You use it. You need to use it if you haven't. If you are an early-stage startup with under 50 employees, that's it. And that's a lot of you out there, probably at least half of you. Well, you can get started today with six months of Zendesk for free. Six months. You heard it right. Zendesk.com slash twist. Now more than ever, you need to have the best customer support experience. And you can do that most easily and elegantly and simply and now free with Zendesk.com slash twist. Get in there, everybody. All right, very real conversation going on here with Daniel Gross. Thank you for participating in the discussion in an open way. Most people don't like to talk about portfolio construction or this dynamic in the industry where the early investors get screwed. They consistently get screwed. And in fact, you know, it's one of my big pet peeves and um, 
one of the things I fixed in the last five years after getting elbowed in the face three or four times, you know, like we're point guards in this and out. You know what you you know basketball at all, Daniel? Pretty You're a fan of the basketball? Yeah. I, I thought, I, you know, I grew up in Israel. I thought I was tall. I thought <laughs> I was a great basketball player. And then I came to the U.S. Let me tell you. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm barely six feet. So yeah. I'm, I'm definitely not playing professionally. But go ahead. Well, you, we're the point guards in this. We bring the ball down the court. Yes. And you give it to the forward. You give it to the center. They put the ball in the basket. And for the center or, you know, the power forward or whatever it is, to not pass the ball back to you in their double team and let you take a three-pointer once in a while... When you brought the ball up court and you're like a pass first mentality, which is what we are by definition being this early stage, we're pass first, right? We want to get Sequoia, we want to get General Catalyst, you want to get Benchmark, whoever to do it. If they then go screw you, and I've had this conversation four times in 200 investments, where I told a venture capitalist, if you ever try to screw me like you're trying to right now again, I will never work with you again. I will never send a founder to you again. I will tell founders that you tried to screw me and that you will try to screw them. And I will never send, pass you the ball again. I will freeze you out. And I'm a point guard. I'm Chris Paul in this analogy. I bring a lot of good balls down the court. I put it where you want it. You will never get a deal from me. And I know who your top five competitors are and I will bring it to them. And man, you will see a VC wilt like that. Three out of four times it worked. One time I got one person who screwed me and that person doesn't even know how many deals they didn't get because I said to a founder, let me tell you the story about that firm and how they screwed me and you make your own decision. I'm not going to introduce you to them, but I'll tell you the story. And that one firm that screwed me and they know because I sent them an email last week reminding them how they screwed <laughs> me five years ago. I never forget. I never forget. My largest learning from this podcast was not to mess with you. So I'm, I'm glad. No, it's not that. that. It's, I, I, I think this is a team sport is the point. Everybody wins or loses together. Like, that's, that's your point. But there's this weird dynamic. And this is the, the, the way a person said it to me was, uh, and I hope I'm not being condescending because I know you're very successful and I'm, I'm in awe of what you're doing. Honestly, Daniel, I'm really in awe of what you're doing. It's the most I'm impressive literally thing. improvising at, yeah. the, at the piano keyboard and <laughs> there's no yeah. scales. So <laughs> go ahead. Well, it's I, I know raw talent. It's one of the few things I know. And the reason I'm telling you this is because, my gosh, like this person literally said to me, Jason, Cal Jason, I had to eat shit in this industry when I came into it and you're going to have to learn to eat shit. That was literally what the person said to me. And I thought I was friends with this person. And I stopped him. I said, I, I'm sorry, you had to eat shit. Let me tell you right now in no uncertain terms. Jason Calcatus does not eat shit, period. And then yes. I told them they're never going to get the ball passed. They wrote me an apology letter the next day, an email. I, you know, I've thought about it because they wanted me to give up my board seat, give up my pro rata, and give up my information rights. Because at the time, I couldn't write you know, the 500K check. It was early in my career. I said, if you do this, you're never getting the ball passed to you again. And I went to the founder, I told the founder, and I said, I'm going to tell the founder exactly how many unicorns you have, zero. And then I'm going to walk them into Sequoia, Benchmark, Kleiner, Excel, Andreessen, and I'm going to show them how many unicorns they have. I will personally walk them in next week and I will tell them the offer you gave them and how to beat it. This VC couldn't believe that I stood up to them. But the point is, you're only going to win if you have 5 or 10 or 15% of whatever the breakouts are. And we should want you to win. So anyway, that that's just a long way of telling you this was the mistake and the, and the pain I went through when I 
became an early stage investor. And you see this, the people who invested in the, a bunch of people invested in a syndicate for Giphy that got, just got bought by Facebook. And they all got screwed. They all got washed out by later rounds from what I understand. I don't have the actual facts. Um, so what's your long-term concentration strategy on your winners, Daniel? <laughs> Do you I, have one? Um, <laughs> I will I will refer all strategy discussions back to you. Um, <laughs> anyway, I would think um, about that. Uh, I think it's and how, how do you, when you find one that's a winner? Yes. What do you how do you counsel them on what to do next? Do you help them raise a seed round because this is a lot of times why people are coming here you're saying they're people who haven't been part of the system like you coming from Israel to the valley and and Paul Graham uh, and Jessica shepherded you told you hey this is a mistake this isn't um, hopefully they, they gave you great advice. They're known for giving great advice. Um, what advice do you give them? Hey, this has got potential. You should raise a seed round. You should go to YC. You should whatever. What, what's your, what's your role there? Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think the, uh, so, advice is so interesting. Um, in the sense that often, um, breakout companies, actually all companies come to, uh, and I'm sure you experience this a lot to the advice giver uh, with repeated trope questions. And the advice giver gives the repeated trope answers. And this continues generation after generation after generation. I'll give you an example. Hey, we're trying to figure out what to do with Bob. I'm not, I'm thinking of firing him, but I'm not sure. What do you say? Fire Bob immediately. What do they say? Ah. They call you always two months later. I just fired Bob. Should have fired him the next day. I can't believe it. Never make that mistake again. Hey, I'm trying to figure out which firm to take the offer from. You know, firm X offers valuation Y. Firm, you know, B offers valuation Y plus 20%. But I don't like them as much. But I'm still going to take their offer. What do you do? And you, of course, say, focus on the partner that you like. And they, of course, take the higher offer. So what's so funny to me about advice is, um, actually, uh, a friend of mine, um, founder of Stripe, John Collison, had a good point that advice is kind of equal parts, uh, content and delivery. Um, so I could tell you something, but it's just not going to get delivered properly. Kind of like how certain drugs, you know, a lot of the science there is kind of breaking into the nucleus. Um, uh, and, and I feel like in similar vein with advice, you know, the thing I think a lot about is I, kind of know what I what I need to tell you. I have the content and, and figuring out the delivery is the interesting bit. So figuring out a way, sometimes I realize when someone's asking me, for example, about that employee issue, about letting them go, I realize nothing that I'm going to say is actually going to change your mind now. And maybe you need to talk to someone else, someone new, someone fresh you haven't spoken to that you deeply admire who will kind of be, who will kind of do whatever you tell them to do. Um, so that's a situation where I, I don't know. I, 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 you may want to think about advice a little bit more kind of creatively than that. And, um, I think especially in the early stages of startups where it's actually pretty much the same set of questions over and over for team building, firing, hiring, product market fit, uh, fundraising. A lot of the reasons why people take the wrong steps isn't because they get bad advice. It's because they get good advice. That's how would you say, um, cognitively dissonant. And then they don't follow it. Right. And, and a lot of these things you have to learn for yourself, like hiring slow and firing fast. You know, you only experiential learning. Yeah. You learn it over time because you're like, oh, I need to. When you're 10 or 20 years into career, you're like, yeah, hiring somebody to fill the position and then having to fire them three months later is just arduous and painful and stupid. I don't care how long it takes. Let's get a culture fit who actually loves this vertical and who wants to do it. Every company I see succeed 
we have a company called Fitbod, which has done incredibly well. And they're like a CrossFit fitness app. And they hire people who like CrossFit and who like working out. And those people don't turn over. But if you said, I want to hire an iOS developer and I want one who loves to work out, you've just narrowed the field to like 10% of the field. But so it theoretically should take you some magnitude longer to find them, or it might take shorter because you know you know who you're looking for. And the same thing with Steezy, a dance company we have. They hire people who love dance. And boy, does it reduce retention and makes it easier to manage people because they show up for work every day working at their dream job, right? And that's a perfect example. And how you give the advice is also super important. I'm wondering, you were early on with remote. What have you learned about running mm. a remote accelerator that I don't know, that other people don't know? And yes. then how has it changed in the age of COVID and the pandemic? What is your intellectual property? And <laughs> please list it out for me. No, I, I'm happy, super happy to share. Well, I mean, this, um, is, this is, I mean, you've just, I think you literally just unpacked the point of the podcast, which is for a decade and a thousand plus episodes, I've had some people yes. smarter than me on and interrogated them and gotten smart. It's literally the point of a podcast. Yes. To have people yes. on and then build a relationship with them. So hopefully I can yes. become an LP in your next fund. And yes. hopefully you can teach me something. It would and, be great if I could just see the entire checklist of your objectives and what you consider accomplished. And what are your KPIs? Yes. Where's your roadmap? <laughs> Please put it on and we'll set, share it with 250,000 people. <laughs> yeah. Um, remote is, I actually think this is a very important topic. And uh, just for people to understand how to work in a remote world, I by no means consider myself an expert on this. I do think a person, um, you know, an example of an expert, I think is Sid from GitLab. Uh, who, and, and by the way, the nice thing about GitLab strategy is it's all documented in public. You go literally go read it. If a lot of people have asked me, what's the best book on remote work? It is actually GitLab's employee handbook. I would just go <laughs> read that. Um, it's out there on the internet and it's free. Um, what are the key points in there? Yeah. Yeah. Here's the TLDR of like a lot of stuff we've learned in remote. The main thing you lose when you're remote in a company or in a community, say an accelerator is the latter example, is serendipitous interaction with other humans. And you need, you need to, um, you know, just like in space, because there's no gravity, you must work out unless you atrophy. In remote, there's no social gravity. And so you must have forced interactions so that the connections do not atrophy. Um, you're not going to be able to build, you know, there's all sorts of like remote serendipity companies now that, that are getting started and presence and whatever. I hope some of, there's some pioneers working on this. I hope they all succeed. Until then, it is incredibly important that you guys get together. Audio or video doesn't matter. My second point here is video is overrated. Audio is fine and have what I call non-goal-oriented conversations. Non-goal-oriented. Ah, the check-in. Yes. The, like, let's just talk about talking. Yes. Now, the issue is it's pretty hard to do that um, when things are scheduled. Uh, uh. So, so you can have scheduled conversations about goals. So we can get together for this podcast and I can interact with you and actually build a relationship with you because there's a goal in mind. In fact, you have many goals as it turns out. Um, uh, but, but what would have been hard to do is just get on the podcast. We didn't really know each other beforehand and just be like, let's kind of talk. That doesn't work well. And so um, if you want to have non-goal-oriented conversations and if you want your kind of team or community to do so, uh, you have to have other things to do during the conversation. Playing poker with the team doesn't really matter about the poker game or whatever, but it's a, an excuse for people to talk. Um, 
finding shared common interests people have ahead of time and then pairing them based on those interests. You both like running, you both like basketball, um, and then giving them prompts. That's another example of something that works. Um, What's an example of a prompt? Well, for example, you know, you both happen to like basketball. What did you think of the Michael Jordan documentary? I know right, you both watched perfect. it. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and what I mean by that, by that earlier gravity metaphor is you have to apply work here other, because things will fray organically. You can kind of quantify the strength. Imagine for a moment you could mathematically quantify the strength of the relationship between different nodes in the network. When you see people in the real world, you get free reboosting of that signal. Oh, you know, it's so good to see them. They're a real person, whatever. Over time in the digital world, that's the phrase. Now, you can maintain the strength of the links if you have chat open, if you have video open. There's all sorts of things you can do, but you must apply active effort to it. Otherwise, things will atrophy. Um, the, the, and um, the, there's a lot I can say on this, but but I should close with something I briefly mentioned before. I really think when you're talking with it's one thing for us to be having a conversation, high quality video and audio setup. Most people in the world don't have that. I really would do away with video and just do audio and other stuff. I've started doing that now on my Zoom calls because I am so exhausted from being on video for seven fucking hours a day in this goddamn pandemic as an extrovert. Yes. Are you an extrovert or introvert? What's your Myers-Briggs? I'm curious. Are you ENTJ, ENTJ or INTJ? Or are you fake it? As I'll take whatever answer you want to apply to me. <laughs> no, what is it? You know what it is. What is it? Uh, I um, I have a complicated answer that I'll say very quickly. I'm a very deep student of psychometrics and have zero faith in MBTI as as a framework. That being said, if you really want to put me in a box, um, I'm more of an introvert than an extrovert. It's very hard because you come across as extroverted here, but I know extroverts who have learned to deeply engage in a conversation but they prefer to be introvert. Total. I've been training for this moment for the past six months, every single day, staring in the mirror, watching your- Do you feel exhausted though videos. after like a, an hour long conversation or something like that? Is it, did you feel like you need to go read a book or have some alone time? No, because it's interesting. I, yeah. I do get very exhausted with small talk. I find that yeah. drains me instantly. Um, I'm yes. unable to do that. And I actually think the main barrier between introverts and, and extroverts, in my view, is a bit more subtle. It's what you consider small talk. Uh, for I, like, I have very, for some reason, maybe, maybe I should be more mindful, but my brain has very high content demands. So it really has to be very engaging. Right. Um, that, that makes total sense, right? Like some people are so extroverted that any talking or conversation is fulfilling. Correct. This is, it's a very interesting observation because I have introverted friends who can get very animated and engaged in a conversation that's vibrant. But I, I wonder if I'm just, throwing out a thesis here if the conversation is not really providing a, a lot of intellectual stimulation or value i would rather be using those that energy for something else right like what's the point of this <laughs> correct i think there's something about there's so much going on in my own inner world for me to suppress that requires what i'm staring at to be very engaging I think this is also why you see a lot of introverts be much more interested in reading than watching things is because it's just watching is not fast enough. We reading, you have to, um, it's not, a, it's not a treadmill. It won't run for you. You have to push every single, you know, word. Yeah. That's, that's another interesting observation. Do you see any pattern, uh, post COVID, i.e. more people applying, more people wanting to participate because they're stuck at home or because, 
they realize they got their webcam set up and now they can participate. Yeah, I mean, the two interesting trends for us is there's certainly more overall activity, but anytime quality, uh, sorry, quantity goes up, quality goes down. So our retention is down a little bit, but overall activity is up. Um, I think that also means we're 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 just getting more people now. I think this is a very fascinating generation. I mean, we've we've basically, you know, we know that dropouts create great companies and nature just decided to run this terrible experiment where it turned everyone into a dropout. So the outcomes of this year, I think I think the second third order effects are deeply deeply fascinating and unstudied. Yeah, what do you think some of those I I had somebody somebody referred to it as the great pause. What do you think the outcome of the great pause will be? What do you think a second or third order impact might be? Tyler Cohen actually had the brilliant, um, I, I don't know if this was his idea or he heard it from someone, that the, the funny concept of maybe what we should have done is literally pause time. Because that's kind of what the economy needed, is if we just would have said, It's still hey, March it's 12th. Resume now. Um, <laughs> it's March 13th. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a really interesting idea. The seasons we get a little screwed up, but it's interesting. What? No, seriously, what? what, what do you think the changes might be. Obviously, people, I, I'm, I have a phone call this week as a friend of mine said, can you talk to my one of my best friends who's considering going back to Stanford for their MBA, which will cost them $200,000, and it's re- it's going to be remote. So should they, I think it was Stanford, it might have been Penn or Harvard. Anyway, it was one of the big schools. Now, like They don't know if they should be 250 k in debt or if they should go deploy that some other way. I'm like, well, that's a really easy question. Like Spending $200,000 on a Zoom education makes no sense. What do you think the second order, third orders that you're looking at are? Well, we can kind of, I mean, in, in terms of um, maybe first and second order, um, I, I like to think of it as a bit of a Gartner two by two, which is, um, you know, what are things that uh, uh, are, um, nature has put us through like this A-B test, right? And so we're, we're living in a different variant of the world. And so kind of one axis is um, what things will kind of go back Um versus stay uh and 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 i think a lot of it is driven by the other axis which is um in what situations is the alternative is the alternative that we've been exposed to better or worse so i'll give you an example handshakes clearly not coming back um because not doing handshakes is fine and the cost of doing handshakes is now potentially you know a terrible disease yeah um uh the inversion of that in my view is restaurants as it turns out not having restaurants is a bummer people really want them and so they are going to come back um now there's a lot of stuff that kind of gets caught here in the middle which is uh you know at work does the office does it matter yeah going to an office yeah. We don't really have the data on that, whether, you know, some teams increasing efficiency, some teams decreasing efficiency. So on the margin, I think we're actually going to see teams disappear. The th- so a lot of discussion of that on the internet, I wouldn't want to bore us with that. Um, the third order effects I find very interesting. And the one particular that's on my mind is how does this change the kind of undercurrent psychology in terms of making people more tribal um, versus more porous? Uh, I think, uh, you know, for example, you know, two, two very obvious changes that I think will, will kind of just drive how people think and operate. One is just this notion of any human I'm walking around can be carrying, how would you say, like a biological machine gun almost. Yeah. yeah. It requires you, they're armed, right? Everyone could be armed and this requires you to do a lot of, I'm sure you're doing a lot of weird calculations. I find myself doing as I meet friends, which is like, 
you know, do I really trust them when they've been quarantined? How clean are they of, as a person? And you're trying to yeah. project all of this information from almost no data points. And that type of worry, uh, I think will, inf- will, will make things a little bit less porous and people a little bit more clicky, a little bit how more Guarded. Facebook groups. Yeah. And less, uh, awesome. sorry, more WhatsApp groups and less Facebook, so to speak. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I think must just must change given how humans operate is if everyone wa- walking around with a mask is different. Um, you know, you look at people with masks, there's, there's something going on there that is, um, just a different in the way your the neural net of your mind perceives the face. Right. Um, and I, I you know, I, I find, you know, I, I can't see someone's expression quite clearly. There's, there's something that looks a little bit guarded about, about it. Uh, and so I don't know, I, I find it, it, it does change human psychology about other humans quite a bit. And, um, I do think one of the most important things we've learned from social media is it's really important for humans to physically see each other Absolutely. as much as possible. Yeah, that's what we're uh, learning. That's, I think, the, with, the, with the going back to work issue is really interesting because I think you said it well. Like, will that come back or not? Will people be more efficient or not? That's the one I'm thinking about because I look at something like Facebook or Uber or Google and I'm like, you know what? I don't think those companies could have been built during their high growth periods without a campus and everybody in the room, you know, like grinding on that and that grinding culture. And while I do think people enjoy working from home and that flexibility, I also think people are going to get kind of stir crazy and they're going to, some group of people are going to want to be in an office. I'm already seeing that myself personally and across. Especially if you have kids. Well, especially if you have kids, like then this is another order of like homeschooling, like is that going to be on the table for people? I've been thinking about that. What what do you think happens to cities? I'm curious because you are an international by design, remote by design enterprise. So you obviously bought into this. What do you think happens to cities? And do you see some trend with what cities are um, overrepresented in, say, Pioneer Labs that were underrepresented or not overly represented at y- your time at YC? Um. Yeah, I mean, so in terms of what Pioneer sees, I, I will say, you know, it's quite, it's quite international. Uh, about half the traffic is just, you know, non-US global world. Um, the, yeah, the half, the, 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 which is interesting, the website is in English. We haven't really done any growth work, period, you know, internationally. Um, you know, m- maybe maybe some slivers and phone calls, but not that much. Uh, and it has quite a spread. Um, and so... Uh, and even a lot of the American traffic, it's not, you know, SF, it's, you know, someone in um, Indiana. Um, so in terms of representation, you know, I think we see the, the standard things you'd expect. Um, all of the other um, kind of uh, technology hubs um, of the world, uh, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of activity from um, obviously Europe. There's a lot of activity in India. There's a lot of activity in Nigeria. There's a lot of activity in, in um, Eastern Europe. Um uh, and, and so, you know, that kind of rem- remains alive and well. I think there's a very interesting question about will 2021 be, uh, will Silicon Valley and San Francisco in particular be the capital of technology in 2021? Um, that I feel like it, right now is the question on everyone's mind. And, you know, my worry is that the city, uh, for a very long time has been mismanaging itself and, you know, just like we mentioned before about eternal September, cities also go through effectively three stages of development, in my view. All communities, all scenes go through the same three stage. It starts off as a frontier where it mostly has interesting people who wouldn't go there normally, who go there. It becomes 
famous and it gets kind of your kind of normies. And then over time, things do tend to fail. Now, for, for internet communities, this could happen in a matter of days. For companies, it takes years. And for cities, maybe it takes centuries. I do wonder if San Francisco is kind of obviously in this in middle state now where it's famous, it's attracting both great founders and just a, like a lot of normal people. Um, as the city continues um, to mismanage itself, you know, at what point does it, d- 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 does the founding kind of tech scene break up into other parts of the Bay Area or into other parts of the world? That I don't know, but that's a, that's, that's a huge question on my mind. We are thankfully... Um, uh, agnostic, you know, pioneer can float to whatever the, the real world capital is. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, just personally, every, almost everyone who works in at pioneer is in the Bay area. And we're kind of wondering if, if we want to be able to greet the door, um, to our best pioneers as they arrive off whatever the future Ellis Island is, um, where should we be? Should we be in London? Should we be in New York? Should we be in Cupertino? I don't know. Um, I don't know that it'll be SF. SF is, I think, got the all cities that are high priced have one issue, but then a mismanaged city that's also high priced. This is the worst of all situations because even people who we know who are contemporaries who can afford to live here, they're like, what's the point? The place is just so mismanaged and it's so terrible. And we know the taxes are going to go up. And why would I even stay here? What's the point? I mean, people feel that way about California as well. So I think this is like, this is more, this is an acute issue. This is not like some existential thing. People every day who I know who are absolutely price insensitive are saying, it's not worth it. And it's like, but you're rich. And it's like, yeah, but I just don't want to be a sucker. I don't want to be here if this is like, is unnecessary. And there's better places to be that are better run. And I, I think everybody's going to go north and south of the city and east of the city, right? So Sacramento, we're seeing a lot of people. People are going to Santa Cruz. People are going to St. Louis Obispo. Obviously, people are going north to Napa and uh, other communities north of Healdsburg. So I think it's going to be, I still think the Bay Area be, is the special place. But San Francisco itself, which wanted to do an IPO tax, like what are they going to do now with this crazy budget, this giant budget, terrible services? And then everybody's like, why would I, why would I be here? The tax base could collapse. And commercial real estate has already collapsed. And already there for the first time, I've never even heard of this, but I was being told that people are offering two months free rent in San Francisco and the rents are 20% off. I mean, can you imagine sitting here two years ago and saying, you're gonna get two free months rent in San Francisco and it's 20% off the price? I think what the other thing that's happening is to our earlier framework of, you know, people trying alternatives on the forced A-B test of nature, just like people realizing they can survive without handshakes. I think many are realizing they can survive without San Francisco, you know, as, as they currently sequester with their parents somewhere or somewhere else around the Bay Area. So yeah, it's, it's unclear to me what, what the return is. And, and it's, um, you know, on, 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 uh, how would you say it? Uh, it's, it's, it's sad that San Francisco lost the opportunity to truly become a capital. Uh, of the West and, and and possibly of of the entire modern world. The good news is maybe the tides have shifted and people will migrate to another place where you know local governance is um, uh, you know a little bit more able to respond to the needs of the economy. That that is the very weird part of all this is the liberal cities are um, uh, devolving, and then I see liberal people moving to Republican and conservative areas because they're higher functioning, like. Texas and Florida. Like these are the destinations now. And San Francisco and Seattle are going backwards and those places are getting the highest end people are moving to those places. 
It's very strange when you think about it. Not, maybe it isn't strange when you think about it. Maybe it's strange that San Francisco held on for this long. Well, I mean, I do think California broadly still remains um, the iconic uh, land of the frontier. You know, I think it it has some serious questions ahead of it just in terms of uh, tax rates and, you know, the fact that such a large fraction of its revenue comes from the top 1% uh, and the fact that it's going to run a giant deficit this year and the fact that San Francisco may become the last city to emerge from lockdown, you know, will have terrible economic costs. I do think it has a reckoning to come to. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that we could get our way out of this because I'm sure you've had this experience too. I certainly have now traveled to a couple of other countries and I'm always struck by how California literally may be one of the best places in the world, just in terms of how God laid out, you know, the planet. I mean, Northern California is just particularly gorgeous. Like to be able to surf in Bolinas and ski in Tahoe, and you know, all within a couple of hours, each other and Los Angeles and San Diego and everything in between is just stunningly gorgeous. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a very weird time. Uh, well, listen, I, I kept you for over an hour and I really appreciate you taking the time. I'm, encouraging anybody who has an idea um you know to go to pioneer.app and start pursuing it because they're really it's the only you're the only person doing something in this specific section of the world uh, which is somebody has an idea and they don't feel like they're part of it and they just need a little encouragement and a little framework and you've done that and i i think it's tremendous daniel i am really impressed with what you've built uh, and it's only in year two now so I really think the sky's the limit and um, really just great to have you on the program. And it's nice to see somebody with fresh eyes on a problem. Uh, and if you're a founder, if you're wondering, if you're listening to my voice and you're wondering, gosh, can I do it? Well, you just go to pioneer.app slash, I'm guessing it's applier. So go to pioneer.app and just say start. I think you just get started. There's a button. And just get started. I mean, what do you have to lose? Uh, it, it's it's basically free. I mean, 1% of your equity means nothing in a speculative project. So that's, I mean, it's the best deal in town as far as I'm concerned. Oh, I appreciate you saying that. Um, and yeah, I mean, you can even, you know, play it. You could reject our offer at the end. It really doesn't matter. The the whole- Oh, you're allowed to reject you, it? I mean, it's, it's a free market. Um, you do whatever you want, right? So um, the whole point is you can get started with a pseudonym. I mean, no one can know who you are. No one will see you in your nakedness. And if you fail, no one will know. And if you succeed, you can- Oh, you can be you anonymous? Know, Oh, I'm gonna start my new I'm gonna start my new company there. I have go, an idea for, for a it. company. I want to go there and just be part of it and just be see if I can go to the top of the leaderboard. That'd be hilarious if I did it and then got a, got on the. I got it's on like call. it would be as if Lance Armstrong joined a Peloton class. So yeah, let us know. Yeah, Lance is. I just got introduced to Lance Armstrong because he's doing he's doing a fund, or he wants to do a fund, or of course, right? Exactly. Like, <laughs> anybody's yes. going to do a fun. It's like anybody's got a podcast. All right, listen, Daniel, continued success. Stay safe. Uh, you can follow Daniel on the Twitter. He's Daniel Gross, G-R-O-S-S. And uh, this wraps up our Power of Accelerator series uh, with a bang. Like I said, if you got an idea, go there. And uh, I'll be trolling, looking for ideas there. Uh, continued success. And uh, thanks for taking the time. Have a great weekend, Daniel. Thank you so much, uh, really Jason. You're... Uh, Energy and dynamism is legendary. <laughs> Thank you for that. Uh, all right. We'll see. Thanks to everybody for supporting the podcast. I know a lot of advertisers out there stopped spending money during the pandemic. I know it was pretty scary and you didn't know what to do with your budgets. But oh my God, 
you all stick stuck with us through this. And, you know, we got five, six people working on this podcast full time. And uh, I really do appreciate it to the advertisers who uh, support this podcast. I don't do it for money. I do it to really help inspire people to start companies and to just maybe give them some inspiration twice a week. And we couldn't do it without your support. So thanks to all the, the sponsors who stuck with us during this really challenging time. And uh, I hope uh, we're producing for you because the ratings are up. Listenership went up. That's interesting. Yeah. More people are tuning in. Even I guess people have time. Thank you. Uh, all right, stay safe. Thank Daniel. you. We'll see you all next time on this week's stars. Bye bye.